Well, for those who don't know me, my name is Derek, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And I just want to welcome all of you. I want to welcome those of you who are with us online. We are beginning a brand new sermon series, a three-part series called Thanksgiving. And, you know, I'm not sure what your favorite holiday is. You know, we all have different holidays that we gravitate to, and a lot of them are based on some sort of a, a memory or a childhood experience, or, you know, there's just certain things that are sentimental about certain holidays. But if we're going to step back from all that, and we're just going to kind of evaluate things objectively for a minute, I think we're all going to come to the same conclusion, that by far the best American holiday is Thanksgiving. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious to me. I'm sure it is to you as well when you kind of think rationally about it. But I mean, what other holiday is there that takes two of the greatest things about being an American, right? They both start with the letter F. I'm sure you're thinking of them. And basically, the, everything centers on those things. Can you, you, you guys know what those are, right? Just call them out. Food and food and football. Food and football. How, I mean, how, how awesome is this? How, how, think, think about this for a minute. The whole of Thanksgiving Day is basically oriented around what time is dinner. I love that. That, that, it should be biblical. That's so good, you know? And, and, then, and then the other thing is, like, what time are the games on, right? You, you, everything's kind of working around those two things. Everything is subservient to those two things. And, you know, beyond just that, this is like one of the most low-stress holidays of them all. It's so great, right? There's, I mean, now some of you are laughing because you got family. Okay, family, that's a constant. Okay, you can't, your family's always around in all the holidays, so you got family, put that to the side. All right, just, let's, again, let's just think. So you don't have any big buildup coming. You, there's not a whole bunch of stuff you've got to do to kind of get ready. You don't have to decorate stuff. You don't have to buy a bunch of gifts and like do a big exchange and is the person going to like this and did I spend enough money and am I, you know, all that stuff. It doesn't matter. There's none of that. And the cool thing is, for about 99% of us, there's no dressing up. You don't have to get ready to go out anywhere. There's no big production. You're just, you're just hanging out at home, right? And I love it. This is, if there's one day that you can have guilt-free eating, this is the day. You're actually expected to overeat. Like, if you don't overeat, it's like, woo! It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Now, I would say that the one recommendation I would have for this, there's one thing you, I think you should. you should. You should put on your best pair of buffet pants, okay? Or whatever, whatever kind of stretchy outfit you have that just allows you that wiggle room to be able to really fully enjoy the meal and then make sure that you're able to pass out on the couch in front of the game afterwards. I mean, what, if every day could be like Thanksgiving, man, uh, it would just be, it would be the greatest. It would be awesome. So not only is Thanksgiving the best of the American holidays, but Thanksgiving, not the holiday, but, but the principle, right, of giving thanks, this idea of being thankful. Thanksgiving is also essential to living the Christian life. I'm going to say that again, okay? Thanksgiving is essential to living the Christian life. Because think about it for a minute. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, what is the goal? What, what, what are you supposed to be doing then? It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's to follow Jesus. It's to do the things that Jesus did. So it is to practice love and patience and kindness. It is to give like Jesus gave. It is to serve like Jesus served. It is to forgive like Jesus forgave. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. 
We overcomplicate Christianity, but really it is, it is simply all about Jesus. And even if you're here right now and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian, you know, you're just kind of exploring faith, you're, you're intrigued with it. Here's the thing. You, you can agree on this. From what you know about Jesus, like it's, it's a great thing to live your life in that direction. You only need to have been to one funeral as an adult to, to know how you want to live, how you want to be known, how you want to be remembered, right? So here we have this goal. Just be like Jesus. Just live the way Jesus lived. Do the things that Jesus did. Seems simple enough. And you know what? On our really good days, we can do this, can't we? We can. Like, you know that day where you, you got a great night's sleep, man? You wake up feeling awesome, you know? You, you have a good breakfast. Maybe you've just come off a of vacation. Or, you know, maybe you're just feeling good that morning because somebody special in your life has sent you some cool text or just did something really nice for you, and you're still kind of filled up from that, you know? Or maybe you finally got that recognition at work or that promotion or whatever, and you're just, you're riding high. You know, on those days, on our good days, we can be like Jesus, can't we? I mean, really, we can. We can pull out into that crazy DC traffic and somebody immediately cuts us off, you know, and there's a laying on of the horn by somebody else. And, and instead of what we would normally do, which is raise up our fist and want to tell somebody, man, you're number one, you know? Instead of like doing that in that moment, we raise up that hand, okay, because it's a really good day. We feel good. We raise up that hand and we go, it's, God bless you, brother. You know, obviously you're in more of a hurry than me. Just go ahead. It's okay. And you know what? You're genuinely okay with it, aren't you? You're not wanting to secretly kill that person. Like, you, you're, you're happy. You're happy because it's a good day. And you, you're able to be like Jesus in that moment. What's the problem, though, with most days? They're not necessarily like that perfect day. I mean, we're tired. We're hungry. We're stressed. We're surrounded by annoying people who frustrate us, yes? So, you know, in the midst of those moments, that's when it's so hard. We know what we're supposed to do. We all do. But then we don't do it, do we? Or we do it, but we do it with a terrible attitude. It's awful. You know, um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and ever since I was like six years old, I have been a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan, and that's more of a curse than a blessing for those of you who follow the NFL. Um, and one of the requirements for being a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan is that you have to have a hatred of a certain team from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and they're just, that, sorry, but they're, they're in our division and they're constantly like, yeah, every time we think we have a fighting chance and we might actually like go somewhere into the playoffs, man, it's always the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're like that bully on the block that's just constantly, you know, just knocking you down. And, uh, and year after year, it's heartbreak, it's disappointment. But this season, this season, there was reason for a lot of hope and optimism. This season, the Bengals started out, and they were on fire. They were looking great. Everything was clicking. We started out four and one, and we're on top of the division. You know, Pittsburgh, they tied the Cleveland Browns. It was amazing, you know. There was riots in the streets in Cincinnati. It was so great, you know. And so Pittsburgh's coming unglued. It was horrible, you know, and there's, there's all this tension and chaos. So Pittsburgh comes into town, and they got to get it together, and they're playing in Cincinnati Stadium, playing the Bengals, and this is finally, this is finally going 
going to be the year. It's finally going to be it. We're favored in the game. And actually, it's fast forward in the game, late in the fourth quarter. We're talking less than a minute left. We're talking almost like 15 seconds left in the game. And Cincinnati is holding on to a one-point lead, and Pittsburgh's just on the edge of field goal range. And wouldn't you know it, wouldn't you know it, there was a very controversial no call on a clear, clear penalty against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh scores a touchdown with 15 seconds left, wins the game, heartbreak all over again in Cincinnati. You can tell that I'm still not over it, okay? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. Okay. I heard that. That's enough. Okay. Trying to keep it together. Here's the thing. I know it's not my wife's fault that the Bengals lost that game. It's not. It's just not her fault, okay? I also know it's not her fault that she was born and raised in Pittsburgh. It's not, it's not her fault, right? I, I willingly chose to marry her. No one held a gun to my head. I knew what I was doing. I knew the downsides, you know? It's not her fault that the Steelers have won six Super Bowls and the Bengals have won none, okay? None of those things are her fault. And I know this, don't I? I know this, and I also know how I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to be like Jesus. But guess who gets to bear the brunt of my bad mood after that game? It's ridiculous. It's a football game. Somebody say amen. Right? I mean, it's a football game, and yet I got a bad attitude, and guess who I'm kind of secretly harboring resentment? It's all her fault. It's it's Becky. It's my wife. It's, It's just crazy. So, We know what we're supposed to do, don't we? It's actually not that complicated. We know how we're supposed to live. We know how we want to be remembered. But yet, what do we do when the very thing we want to do is the exact opposite of the thing we actually do? What's the solution? Well, I am going to make an argument that the very thing that we need is boiled down into one word, and that is the word thanksgiving. And to help us really understand this principle we are going to look at an account of Jesus' life that was written by a physician named Luke, who was not a follower of Jesus, but he lived in that time, and um, and basically he was a researcher, he was an avid historian, and he went around and he made it his life's work to really make sure that he... uh, kept a very detailed historical account of Jesus' life by talking to a lot of people who knew Jesus and who walked with Jesus and who followed Jesus. And so in uh, Luke's, what we call his gospel, one of the four in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 47, Luke records an encounter that Jesus has with two people. And these two people could not be more opposite from one another. On one hand, he is interacting with someone who's completely got it all together in their life completely put together person. And then he's also interacting with someone who's a total and utter mess. So let's jump in, starting in verse 36, Luke chapter 7. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, a Pharisee was uh, someone who was a devout Jewish person. So here you have a guy, and to try and give you like a modern equivalent for us, you know, here today in a church service, this would be like a guy who was a very devout church-going 
Christian. You'd see this guy every Sunday in church. And man, he would have his Bible. Not only would he know his Bible, he would have memorized a lot of his Bible. He would have been going to uh, a Bible study. He would have been serving in the church. He would have been praying regularly. I mean, so religiously speaking, this Pharisee has it all together. Verse 37. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there, okay, so she went there, pretty bold. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, scholars have tried to speculate on this woman and particularly focused in on like this sinful life and, you know, what, what, was, what did that look like? What, were, what, was, what was going on with this woman? And basically, uh, one of the things that they've speculated is that this alabaster jar of perfume, that that, that could have been something used by a lot of prostitutes in, in her day. So maybe, maybe she lived a life of prostitution. Uh, but ultimately, we don't know. It's, it's all speculation. What we do know is that this woman did not have it all together religiously, okay? This, this, is, this woman is a complete and utter mess in her life. And so you got a guy who's all together and you've got her, she's a total mess. It says, verse 38, that as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. For some of you, you're like, and this is getting weird. Like, what is happening here? What is she doing? This is awkward. If I was there, this would have been so just crazy to see. But here's the thing. Back then, 2,000 years ago, this was actually a sign of honor. Okay? This wouldn't have been so crazy and abnormal. She was honoring Jesus. So it says, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, now notice, he didn't say this out loud. He said it to himself. He said, if, if this man were a prophet, I mean, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. I love this. Jesus answered him. So Jesus basically looks right at this guy, can read his mind, knows what he's thinking. And he turns and he says, Simon, I got something to tell you. Probably got Simon's attention pretty quick. He said, tell me, teacher. And then Jesus goes into what he was famous for doing, teaching in parables. And he tells Simon a very, very short parable. He says, Simon, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed the money lender 500 denarii, and a denarius was about a day's wages. So one owed the money lender 500 days' wages, and the other, 50. Neither of them had the money to pay the money lender back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, at this point, I wonder if Simon, he didn't know that much about Jesus, but I wonder if he's heard that Jesus does this thing where he tells parables, and oftentimes there's like a punchline, and there's like a zinger, there's like a gotcha. And I wonder if Simon kind of knows he's being reeled into something right now. Because I don't know about you, but I just, I, I, as I read his statement, I just feel the hesitation in his voice where Jesus is like, okay, so which one is it? The guy who owed 500 days wages or the guy who owed 50? Like, which one loved the money lender more? Pretty obvious, isn't it? Simon replied, uh, I, I suppose the, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, 
Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Now, the parable's over, and now Jesus is going to get to the point of the parable, which is coming right at Simon. It says, then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, I love this about Jesus. You have to understand for a minute, this is 2,000 years ago on another part of the world. And when he says, do you see this woman, you have to understand the irony in that because women in that day and age, they weren't really seen. Or if they were seen, they were seen as far less than men. You know, uh, in Jesus' day, a man could divorce his wife really for any reason. But a woman could not divorce her husband. She did not have the right to do that. You know that a woman could not testify in court because her testimony was not considered reliable, wasn't considered trustworthy. Thank God we don't live 2,000 years ago because basically women were property. So you have to understand that as Jesus is saying, he's like, do you, do you see her? Do you even see her? I love this about Jesus because you see, Jesus never saw women this way. This is what's so incredibly radical. We think Jesus is radical, but we can't even begin to fathom how bad it was back then 2,000 years ago. He was so progressive. See, Jesus, he, he would talk to women. He, he would honor and empower them. Jesus saw women as equals. He saw women with all of the worth that God had in, instilled in them. Jesus included them in his ministry. It's just phenomenal. And so he turns to Simon and he says, do you see this woman? And here it comes. Get ready, Simon, because here we go. Jesus says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Now, you got to understand, 2,000 years ago, People didn't have closed-toed shoes. Many people would be walking around barefoot. We didn't have the sanitation systems that we have today. So you can only imagine what would be on your feet, okay? When you would walk into someone's home, it was a basic, basic rule of hospitality that you would, at the very least, offer us some water for the person to wash their feet before they would have a meal with you. And he says, you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she, she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss. Now, that was the the modern-day equivalent of a handshake back then. That was just how you would greet somebody when they walked into your home. He says, "You, you didn't do that. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. Now, that was a sign of blessing. You gotta remember Jesus, he's the guest of honor at this man's house. He says, you didn't do that for me. But she, she has poured perfume on my feet. And then here we go, verse 47. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. You can almost imagine Simon, this all put together Pharisee in the moment going, what? Are you kidding me? But Jesus isn't finished. He says, but, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And that was intended right for Simon, the Pharisee. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And what is so ironic about this passage is that you have one person who's all put together and one person who's a complete mess. 
And what you realize after hearing Jesus' parable and his application, who's the mess? Which one of them is the mess? It's Simon, the Pharisee, the one who's all put together on the outside is a complete mess of a person on the inside. Do you see? There is no love in the man. There's a woman who's entered his house. He doesn't know her. He doesn't fully know her story. He knows her reputation. And you know what? He's disgusted. He despises her. He probably just can't even stand the fact that she's there. He sees her as so much less than him. And as for Jesus... Not even the basic level of hospitality has he offered to Jesus. There's nothing in him. There's no love there. And the question is, why? why? I mean, you can understand maybe how he sees the woman, but, but not even for Jesus? Like, why hasn't he done anything? Even the basic things. Why hasn't he done anything for Jesus? Well, you know why? And don't, don't miss this. The reason he hasn't done anything for Jesus is because in his mind, Jesus hasn't done anything for him. Do you see that? Jesus has done nothing for him. So therefore, there's nothing he's going to do back. You see, Simon the Pharisee, the way he's living out his life, his belief system and his faith, is basically a quid pro quo system with God. And basically, it works like this. And some of us maybe have grown up thinking this way, or maybe some of you say, yeah, this is actually my understanding of religion or Christianity. But this is basically his construct. It's, you know, there's all these things that I'm supposed to do in my life. There's all these things I'm supposed to do for God. I'm supposed to, you know, go to religious services. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to say my prayers. I'm supposed to give to the poor. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. And basically, he's doing all of these things that a good religious Pharisee should do. And then in return, what is he hoping for? He's hoping that God would return the favor, right? That God would then hear his prayers. That God would look upon him favorably. That God would bless him with good health and good relationships and, you know, and financially and all those things. And many of us are like, wait, isn't that just, isn't that what it is? Isn't that religion? Yeah, that's religion, but that's not the same as what Jesus came to establish. And so the problem is, In Simon the Pharisee's mind, he doesn't owe anybody anything. If anything, people owe him something for all that he's done. And he couldn't be more off base with how a relationship with God actually works. He's got it completely upside down. So what's ironic is Simon is the mess. But you know who's all put together? You know who's got this thing all figured out now? I know you think the answer is Jesus, but it's not, right? It's the woman. It's the woman who's lived the sinful life. She is now the one who's having no problem expressing radical love and selfless, sacrificial giving. Do you realize that this alabaster jar of perfume could potentially be worth up to a year's wages? We don't know, but it it could have been. And she's, there she is just pouring it all out at the feet of Jesus. That's crazy. Why? why? Why is she doing this? She's doing this in complete response to what Jesus has done for her. 
You know, what's fascinating is um, we, we, when we think about Jesus sometimes, especially like outside of the church, what Jesus probably is, is best known for famously is his teachings. You know, he went around and he taught with, people were in awe of the way he taught and his authority and, and, and some of the teachings that, that he uttered, they, they, they've become the basis for how we live 2,000 years later as a society. And, and we've also heard that Jesus is famous for, you know, going around and healing all these different people and performing these, these signs and these wonders, these miracles. And yes, Jesus, he is said to have done all these things in the scriptures. But ultimately, the reason that Jesus came, it wasn't for the teachings, it wasn't for the healings, it wasn't for the miracles. Jesus came and you read through the gospels and you see him saying this over and over and over again. He's saying to people, he's looking people in the eyes and he's saying, your sins are forgiven. I forgive you. Go in peace. It's well with you. Let it be well with your soul. Your sins are forgiven. And you see, what Jesus has done is he has offered this gift of forgiveness to this woman. And she said, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. And she is responding with utter gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, I'm not sure what your Thanksgiving role is in your house on Thanksgiving dinner, but my role, I'm like, I'm the cleanup guy, okay? I'm not so much on like the, the food cooking end. I might do a little prep. I might help with a little bit of like, you know, shopping or whatever, but my, my big specialty is as I'm on the cleanup crew. I'm also, I also specialize in eating. I'm really good at the eating part, but, um, but I'm primarily on the cleanup crew, and um, so the thing is, I, I love being on the cleanup crew. In fact, um, if you're ever, you know, in the house with me on Thanksgiving Day, I will fight my way to the sink to be able to be the one who's like right there, sleeves rolled up, you know, let me at those pots and pans. And you guys, I am like a kid in a candy store. Now, here's the thing. Is it because I love doing dishes? No. Okay. Nobody likes doing dishes. Okay. If you say you like doing dishes, I... I think you're lying, okay? So, so, and Lord knows that there are so many dishes on Thanksgiving. Like every pot and pan imaginable in the house is, is out and it's dirty, okay? So it's like your worst nightmare on Thanksgiving day. So why is it that I'm sitting there and I'm just having a blast? I, I'm so excited. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious. It, it, for those who know me, you know I love food. I absolutely love food. And so can, can I just talk about the, the Thanksgiving meal for just a second if I, if I could, Okay. All right, so here's the deal. You've got this moist, succulent cut of turkey, okay? It's, 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 it's on your plate, and it's just slathered in the gravy, you know, with all the drippings and, and, the, and the chicken stock and all that stuff. And, and, and then uh, alongside of it, you've you got the stuffing, right? And it's just right, okay? So the stuffing's there. You've got the mashed potatoes and more of the gravy. Then you've got, you've got the sweet potatoes. You've got the green beans. You've got the, the carrots. And don't forget the cranberry sauce, okay? Because that's just kind of what, what ties it all together. It gives it a little tang, a little sweet. It's so good, and it is like an all-you-can-eat throwdown, right? This is so glorious. So I, I get to indulge in the greatest meal. And then after the meal, I have this moment where I get to have this realization. Somebody or somebodies spent pretty much the better part of the entire day getting that meal ready for me. It's amazing if you think about it. They had to plan it, they had to shop for it, they had to prepare it, they had to cook it, and they had to plate it. 
That's amazing. Okay? So they spent the better part of their entire day putting together this incredible meal for me. And I can't spend like 15 minutes doing some dishes? Now, I'm sorry if you just got an elbow from somebody right in the ribs, okay? Like, I'm, I'm sorry for that, but maybe it's deserved, all right? So here's, here's the deal. It is my pleasure to respond. It, it truly is. I am so happy to do those dishes because of what has been done for me. Now, this woman who had lived this sinful life, you cannot even imagine the shame, the, 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 the guilt that this woman has experienced. She's walked in to this super religious house of this Pharisee and this super religious guy named Jesus who's never done anything wrong. And she has been, she has, Jesus has looked into the eyes of this woman. And when Jesus looks into her eyes, it's like he sees everything about her. It's like he knows her fully and completely. He knows everything she's ever done. But that look in his eyes, he, it's that look is saying, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. I know. Guess what? Nobody can do it perfectly. Not a single person, not even this Pharisee. It's okay. In fact, all you have to do is just simply say, I can't. I can't. Because guess what? I can. I can. And Jesus says, I will. And in that moment, this woman experiences such radical, unconditional love and forgiveness that she is overcome. She's overcome with thanksgiving. There are some of you who are here right now, and you want that. If you're going to be really honest, there's something you're feeling right now, something is resonating with you because you want that same thing that that woman experienced. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can have it. What Jesus offered to her, he offers to us today just the same. It is simply, it is, I'm telling you, it seems crazy, but it is this simple. It's all about just saying, Jesus, I can't. I can't do what I want to, but I can't. The only prerequisite, the only prerequisite to faith in Jesus Christ is simply two words, I can't. And as soon as we utter those things, as soon as we would humbly say, I can't, Jesus says, it's okay. I can and I have. You are forgiven. You are loved just as you are. Go and walk in my grace. And I just want to tell you, if you're here right now, maybe you've been wrestling with who Jesus is for a long time, maybe right now, today is your day. Just simply say right now, Jesus, I can't. I can't. But you can just like that, we are welcomed in to God's family of unconditional love and forgiveness and acceptance, and we are free to walk in his grace. And if you've done that today, that is the greatest thing that you can ever do in your life. And I want to encourage you after the service, um, please go and just visit with someone on our prayer team just for a minute or two right over here. Or if you're online, please click that prayer button and just, uh, just have somebody pray with you. It's awesome. We just want to celebrate with you. For those of us who, you know, maybe we can actually relate more to, to Simon the Pharisee, if we're going to be really honest. We know what we should do. We know what the right thing to do is, but 
We just can't seem to summon the motivation, you know? Or if we do it, our attitude just stinks. So what do we do in that moment when it's like we're walking into a kitchen full of dirty dishes and there's nothing in us that wants to do anything about it? I'll tell you, I'm gonna give you two things today. If you're struggling for motivation, you're struggling to just do the things that you know you should be doing. First one is this, take stock. It's time to take an inventory of everything that God has done in your life and everything that God is doing. And I'm not talking about just like a minute, you know, take a deep breath. I'm talking about like carving out some substantial time where you put pen to paper or you put fingers to keyboard and you actually list out all of the things in your life that you have to be thankful to God for. Take a full inventory because there's a good chance that somehow you slipped into a quid pro quo system of religion like Simon where you're tallying all the things that you've done for God and you've completely lost sight of all of the things that God has done for you. It's all backwards. After you take stock, I've got one more challenge for you, and this one's gonna be hard. I know because I tried to do this this week and I failed like many times. It was just like, it was such a challenge for me. But what I wanna challenge you to do is the next time you pray or the next few times you pray, Stop asking God for things and start thanking God for the things you already have. Now, I want to be really clear on this point. Extremely clear. So everyone just really listen on this. It is absolutely essential that we ask God for things, okay? As, as a general principle. We see Jesus constantly going to his heavenly father and making requests. Jesus instructs us to come to our heavenly father who loves us and it is God's delight to grant our prayers and our petitions, okay? So don't think that some mark of spiritual maturity is when we get to a place and we stop asking God for things because nothing could be further from the truth, all right? But for a season, for a day or a week or maybe up until Thanksgiving, what if you just tried to put on pause asking God for things and you just went to God and you just said, God, I just want to thank you for who you are and all you've done for me. Try this. It will blow your mind how hard it is. Because, you know, I think we all have this tendency. We fall into a pattern. And if you're like me, the pattern and the really scary thing can be that we end up where we kind of come to God, right? And we're praying, God, thank you so much. You're so awesome. And thank you for all you've done in my life. You know, and we're just kind of waiting for the comma, but, you know, turn the corner. Now I've got a whole slew of stuff I need, God. And in that moment, you know what I, I often do is I reduce, reduce a dynamic living relationship with the God who made me and loves me to something like putting a quarter into a gumball machine and trying to get out my gumball prayer request where it's just really about me just asking, God, can you please, can you please? Yeah, thanks, God, you're so awesome. Can you please, I need this. Can you please help me with this? Can you bless me here? And we just have to be so careful that we don't reduce God to some sort of like a vending machine God, okay? This is a dynamic, active, living relationship with the one who made us, with the one who knows us. So 
by pushing pause on asking for things and just leaning into just thanking God, we push back into the essence of the relationship. We delight ourselves in just being in the presence of God. And then once we get that, we get that focus back again, then we bring back in the asking God for things. That's, that's the challenge. It's harder than you think, so just, just be warned. Um, so basically, if we are going to live the Christian life well, we must have a posture of thanksgiving. We must take stock of what God has done for us. And maybe that season of not asking, but thanking God. Now, I just want to close you with, with this thought. I want you to imagine for a minute that you have the opportunity to serve somebody. And I'm not talking about like a super feel-good opportunity, like for those who know Hunger to Hope, right? We package all those meals. It doesn't get any more feel-good than that. I mean, it's, it's great that you're serving, but honestly, you're not serving sacrificially, okay? It's a blast. No one walks out of there feeling bad. I mean, you, you just, you cannot wait. It's, it's the most popular thing we do all year, okay? So, so I'm not talking about a Hunger to Hope type of opportunity to serve. I'm talking about an opportunity to serve where you, you realize that the person you're serving, you're not even sure they're going to fully appreciate it. You're not sure that they deserve it. And, um, and you're not sure it's going to feel very good to do it. And it's going to be really inconvenient for you, okay? Now, in that example that I just gave you, I want you to imagine that not only do you fully embrace that opportunity to serve, but you do it with so much joy and gusto. And when you're finished serving that other person, even if they didn't even hardly notice, you are so filled up and so excited and so grateful that you had the opportunity. You think I'm crazy? I want you to imagine that you have the opportunity to forgive somebody who has hurt you and they're not even asking for forgiveness. They haven't even asked you for it. And I want you to imagine a scenario where you actually offer them that forgiveness, you forgive them deep in your heart, and genuinely you do. And genuinely you feel so good for having done it. You think I'm crazy? Do you think this is beyond a scenario that you can even conceive? I am telling you that we can serve sacrificially, we can give till it hurts, we can forgive even when people don't deserve it if we can keep in mind what God has done for us. Because here's what we all know, don't we? When we give and we love and we serve and we forgive, it's actually not about the other person anyway, is it? It's about God. I mean, if you're giving and loving and serving because of some reaction you're gonna get or because someone's so worthy of it, good luck with that. But if you can do that in light of what Jesus has done for you. Ha ha ha. That's it. That's it. And that is our challenge that's before us. How do we remain focused on God and remain thankful for what he's done so that we can truly live out the Christian life so we can do what we want to do, we can do it well with the right attitude. So before I say a prayer for you, I just want to let you know where we're heading next week. So if thanksgiving is really this essential thing, if we have to have it to live out the Christian life well, now how do we know that we've really grasped it, you guys? I mean, we all have things we're thankful for. We all try and be grateful people. But how do we know if we really got it? 
If we need it, how do we know we've got it? Next week, we're going to talk about what it actually looks like to be thankful like that. So let me go ahead and pray for you if you bow your heads. Lord Jesus, um, we are all here no matter where we are in our journey. <laughs> we realize we, we want to be like you. We want to be more like you, Jesus. But if we're going to be honest, it's a struggle to do that. We lack the discipline and the follow-through and the desire and motivation. So Jesus, help us. Help us to fully realize that it's not about the other person, but it's really about you and what you have done for us. Keep us in tune with that and help us to realize that, that our joy is just to respond to what you have already done. In Jesus' name, amen.